Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Syracuse is playing for the national title. It's too long, and Syracuse is your national champion. Who's out? What's up, Syracuse fans? It's Mike McAlzer from AllSyracuse.com, part of the Sports Illustrated Network, with episode 30 of the Believe in Syracuse podcast, presented by Bet Online and Hoffman Sausage Company. I am here with Kyle Leff to talk about Syracuse's win over Clemson, and we're going to get a little Sean Tucker rant in here as well. Kyle, how the heck are you? You know, Mike, I am doing pretty well. I got my necklace back from the jeweler. It's looking all nice and lovely, feeling good. I had some sushi. I am ready to discuss a Syracuse win with positivity and we're discussing Sean Tucker. It's, it's, it's the best episode you could ask for. There is no better way than to describe our generation difference than the fact that you had sushi and got your necklace back from the jeweler. That's, I mean, that perfectly did like I had pizza tonight. Okay. <laughs> so I mean, that's, that's where we're at here. But anyway, um, and I think the last time I owned jewelry other than my wedding ring of any kind i think you're talking almost 20 years ago how about that wow look at that oh yeah i'm dating myself a little but anyway (laughs) we're back in better than ever a new web interface for the rest of the nba season and more props odds and lines than ever before bet online remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BLEAV50, B-L-E-A-V-50, to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. We're going to start with a Sean Tucker rant. And this isn't something Sean Tucker did. This isn't something negative about Sean Tucker. To the contrary, this is actually defending one Sean Tucker because of some nonsense that was written recently, not about him, but that excluded him. So pro football focus, I'm sure football fans are are very familiar with pro football focus. They do a lot of analytics to grade positions that are a little bit. It started out by grading positions that are a little bit more difficult to grade, such as offensive linemen that don't have stats necessarily. And it's blossomed into essentially grading just about and rating everything related to football in some capacity. And 
they do professional football, but they also do college football. So one of their senior college football analysts, Anthony Treish, wrote an article that listed the top 10 returning running backs for college football for the 2022 season. Now you've got the top 10, right? You got to figure that a running back who was fifth in the nation in rushing yards, fifth in the nation in all-purpose yards, who was a four-time All-American, made four of the five most prestigious All-American teams, that he would be a shoo-in to be on that top 10 list of, again, returning running backs. Sounds pretty reasonable. Right. Except Sean Tucker, the person who had those accolades, was left off of the list. Somehow, this individual found 10 running backs that are coming back to college football next season that he believes are better than Sean Tucker. No, Mike, he actually found 11 because he put an honorable mention in there at the end. So there were 11. That's true. He put a a sleeper in there um, or an honorable mention slash sleeper slash dark horse, whatever you want to call it. Um, And Sean Tucker was not that either. Uh, You know, couldn't even just say, hey, you know, this guy didn't make the list, but he's still really good. A guy to keep an eye on. Couldn't even mention him in there. Um, So here's the list. Deuce Vaughn from Kansas State. Bijan Robinson from Texas, Blake Corum from Michigan, Travion Henderson from Ohio State, Zach Evans from Ole Miss, Devin Achain, I think I'm pronouncing that right, Texas A&M, uh, Braylon Allen from Wisconsin, Jameer Gibbs from Alabama, Zach Charbonnet from UCLA, and Tank Bigsby from Auburn. Here's all you need to know about that list. Sean Tucker ran for more yards than all of them last season. Every single one. Um, in fact... There was only one person within 200 yards of him last season, and that was Deuce Vaughn from Kansas State, who was 92 yards short. Uh, Sean Tucker. So I got an explanation from the author. I reached out to him and asked him if he could explain why Tucker was not on the list. And I'm going to read his his response, and then I'll give you my thoughts. Here's his quote. Quote. This group of returning running backs is probably the best PFF college has seen in a given year. With exception to Kenneth Walker, all of the top performing players at the position last year are returning. So this isn't PFF saying Tucker isn't that good. Rather, Tucker is a good running back, but is in a loaded group returning. Other positions are a lot weaker than running back. These returning player rankings should be viewed as you need need to pick one player at the position to go help you in a game. Who are you picking and in what order? Tucker put up unreal volume numbers this past season and exceeded expectations, but these 10 edged him out in a lot of other metrics for their career and have higher ceilings. Tucker's value generate Tucker's value generated according to PFF wins above average metric wasn't nearly as high as many would expect. So the key point I want to mention here is Tucker put up unreal volume numbers. That essentially is saying that he, that his stats are related to volume number of carries, that it's not as much talent ability, et cetera, that his production was based on having a ton more attempts than a lot of the other players. 
Now, it is true. He does have more attempts than essentially everyone on the list. But here's the other side of that. He averages more yards per carry than half the list. Four or five different players have lower yards per carry than he does. It is more impressive to have a higher yards per carry with more carries than it is to have a higher yards per carry with less carries. Because the more carries you have, the more difficult it is to maintain that. Um, I also don't think that there was a single guy on that list that was literally the number one player that opposing teams were game planning for week in and week out um, as much as they were for Sean Tucker. You could have a debate as to who is more valuable to their team and all that stuff and where exactly Sean Tucker fits on that list. That's a whole separate debate, but the notion that he was simply a volume stack compiler is nonsense. That's not someone can't say that after watching him. You, You just can't. And that is disproven by the yards per carry number. Um, and I, I just can't come up with a reasonable explanation as to how he gets left off of this list. The, the, only, the last thing I'll say is, if you have a metric that measures value based on some algorithm, as to who are the 10 best returning running backs in college football. And Sean Tucker does not make your list. Your metric is broken. Yeah, I, I will back you up on that. And for people who follow me on Twitter and have seen me for years, I am one of the people who's quite anti PFF a lot of the time um, that PFF puts certain players in certain categories because it says, Oh, they're playing really well per pff but if you if you look at how they're playing you're like they're not that good um and i know a prime example of a guy who pff does the opposite of that with who people think he's great but he's bad jamal adams is notably one of the guys who has one of the worst pff grades but is apparently this all-worldly safety who i agree with pff on that one he's not as good but that's the exception to the rule in for me which is PFF is one thing I shouldn't even look at and consider when I'm talking about the best or the worst at a position. Um, And for me, this one, this one hurt seeing this and seeing the comments that are under that tweet, almost every single, I scrolled for a good 200 tweets till I found someone who said something about not Sean Tucker, that there was every single person was like, how do you leave Sean Tucker off this list? Like there is no reasonable explanation for that. And the explanation he gave is dumb. My reasoning for that is if you consider him a volume running back, the best volume running back in the NFL is Derrick Henry. And Mike, do you know who the best running back in the NFL is? Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry. But he's a volume back, so he's not that good. <laughs> that The argument just on its own, and yes, I'm making it very simple and quite plain, but that's what he's arguing, and that's dumb. Sean Tucker, yes, he gets a lot of rushes. And I'm looking at currently the yards per carry. Devin McCain from Texas A&M was number one. Travion Henderson, two. Braylon Allen was three. Blake Corum was seventh. And then Sean Tucker was the next one at 19. Devin McCain had 130 rushes for 910 yards, which means he's not running the ball every time. You're putting him in to run 40 yards, and that's it. He's not going to get you a volume. He's not going to do volume because he's not used for volume. Not every running back is the exact same. Alvin Kamara and Derek Henry are not the same running back, but they're both 
dang good running backs. You should not just value it based off of one thing or the other thing. You've got to use the eye test. You got to look at it, use stats and everything together. Yeah. Moneyball I mean, does not win championships. That was proven. It doesn't win you championships. It gets you closer, but not everything. The eye test and the feel of the game is what helps that. And anyone who says PFF is gospel or any of this nonsense, don't follow me on Twitter. You don't deserve me. Okay. I, mm, mm, this angered me seeing because I, we know how good he was. He was the second best running back all year behind Kenneth Walker, who is the best in the nation. And it was a year of absurdity running back wise. And he missed Sean Hunter missed the, like the last game. He didn't play well. And those two games he didn't play well in the rest of them. He was our entire offense. The only reason our offense did anything is because Schrader found a way to work with him. DeVito found a way to work with him because he was the best part of our offense last year. When he played a few games, he was a stud and we knew he was going to be a stud. And look at him now. How I don't, man. I know. <laughs> the, the last thing I'll say on this is you've got Zach Evans, who had 648 rushing yards and five touchdowns last season. Jameer Gibbs, who had 746 rushing yards and four touchdowns last year. Sean Tucker literally has more than doubled the rushing yards and double the touchdowns that each of those guys had. So I don't know how you have a formula that says that those guys are more valuable when they have half the rushing yards and half the touchdowns. And, and I get the carries. Of, yeah, right. And, and I get, I get the carries, you know, and the, the volume and such there, but um, honestly, volume is part of your value, right? So uh, regardless, that's, that's our rant on that. Now let's get to Syracuse basketball. It's tailgating season and no one does it better than Hoffman Sausage Company. Beer Bratwurst, Jalapeno Cheddar Sausage, Kabasi, and Bun Length Chicken Sausage. Add them to the menu with classic German Franks and Snappy Grillers, and fans will go wild. Proudly made in New York since 1879, when you bite into a Hoffman, you experience a little bit of upstate history. Taste tells, Hoffman is a proud partner of Syracuse University Athletics. Syracuse got a much-needed win by knocking off Clemson, 91-78 in the Dome, Tuesday night. Huge win for Syracuse for their prospects of keeping the Bayheim winning season streak and frankly, program winning season streak alive. Um, almost any path to getting there involved winning this game. And otherwise, you were going to have to pull a monumental upset. Now you can win games where you don't have to pull a monumental upset and figure out a way to get there. Um, so the the ebb and flow of the game was essentially this. Syracuse jumped out to a 10-point lead um, early in the first half. Clemson battled back. Syracuse took a one-point lead in the halftime. Um, it was kind of back and forth until the, the midway point of the second half. Um, Syracuse went on a little bit of a run to push the lead up to eight or nine Clemson battled back and, and closed the gap to three. And then Syracuse went on another run to push the lead to double digits. And it sort of hung around there for, uh, the last, you know, four or five minutes and, and Syracuse was able to close it out. The first thing that I want to discuss is Syracuse's perimeter defense. It's been harped on all season. We have railed against it in this podcast. Fans have been critical of it. The coaching staff has been critical of it. Other members of the media have been critical of it. All warranted. Syracuse is the worst three-point 
defense in the ACC coming into this game. Clemson was the number three three-point shooting offense by percentage in the ACC coming into this game at over 38% as a team. They are really good outside shooting team. That was going to be the key to this game. Could the worst perimeter defense in the ACC defend one of the best perimeter offenses in the ACC? And if you were a Syracuse fan, there was nothing to suggest that they would be able to do that for an entire game consistently. And they did. Clemson was just eight for 27, which is 29.6%. So less than 30% on the game. And again, they come in, they came in shooting over 38% as a team. So well below their average, Um, you know, I, I think is they still gave up 78 points, which is a lot. Clemson still shot 49% uh, as you know, overall. So they shot pretty well inside the arc. That defense obviously could have been better. But that's how Syracuse is going to have to beat teams. I don't think they're good enough to be able to shut down the interior and the perimeter. But if you can take the perimeter away and make teams subpar shooting teams from out there, even if you give up a little bit more inside, that's a recipe I think Syracuse can win with. And it worked for them in this game. Oh, it's a huge recipe for success in this game, uh, especially if you can keep them from shooting well on the outside. As we well know this year, we have an inside presence now. Jesse Edwards, who we'll discuss in a little bit, had four blocks on the day. You know, that's a very solid number right there. And two um, were in the corner on three-pointers, by the way. So he yeah. was helping with that perimeter defense. That we played lights out. We rebounded the ball really well. We did everything right. That perimeter defense was what caused us to play well. That all of a sudden, playing good perimeter defense just does wonders for an offense. Uh, they had 21 turnovers, which is a result of that. If you play good perimeter defense, you're going to turn the ball over more. And Clemson did that. They turned the ball over a heck of a lot more. 21 times, or so that's personal fouls. Turnovers, we had 10, they had nine. I'm reading my stats wrong, people. Sorry about that. Um, we played good defense on the outside, as you said, and it helps when everyone's committed to it and Jimmy Beheim didn't play poorly which I think was kind of the big note um, was that, as we said, he's kind of been the weak link and he wasn't at uh, in this game, which is honestly a little bit shocking. Yeah. And, and there were a couple of reasons I think for uh, the improved defense. First of all, um, I've noticed that the better that Joe Girard plays offensively, the more energy he gives you defensively. I don't think you're ever expecting him to all of a sudden be this elite defender this amazing defensive player you just kind of need him to be average to slightly below average and he was giving extreme effort all game long he was closing out on shooters getting a hand up with when you know he they would make a couple of perimeter passes and get a guy that looked like he was going to have a decent look um you know gerard would go running after him and get a hand that at least bothers the shot a little bit that was part of it um syracuse going to their three guard lineup um, once in the first half for a stretch and once in the second half for a stretch, I think also helped because Samir Torrance up at the top of the zone. He's a little bit quicker. He can give you, um, you know, some, some good defensive minutes up there that certainly helped. And then Syracuse did a good job at pushing the three point shots out a little bit further. Very few of their shots were wide open looks right at the line. The, the open looks that they got, most of them were three, four, five steps behind the line. And, 
they weren't so open that they could catch and step into the shot, which makes it much easier than if you have to stand flat footed. So Syracuse did a good job rotating, identifying the open shooters, staying at home, not being out of position as much. Uh, and then, you know, when they had to rotate extra in order to make up for some of that passing, you know, Edwards was able to get out to the corner a few times and that certainly helped. So uh, I think a strong effort there. And, you know, speaking of Jesse, as you mentioned, uh, 15 points, 11 rebounds, four blocks, and his impact was well beyond that. Uh, he did foul out again, but, uh, you know, he, he played 34 minutes. So if, if you can get 30, 35 minutes from him every game, even if he does end up fouling out, you certainly are happy with that. But, you know, every time I see him play, it's just amazing at how much better he is than where he was last year. And even at, even at the end of the season last year, when he started to come on and started to play a little bit more and give Syracuse some good minutes, um, he's, he's just so much better than he was even at that point. And when he is able to stay on the court for 35 minutes a game, Syracuse is, is a team that is, um, even if they're not great defensively, they challenge a lot of teams with what they can present to you offensively because they've got the, so many shooters and because of his presence inside. And then you've got a guy like Jimmy who can do, uh, you know, a little bit from the outside, a little bit on the offensive glass. You can post him up a little bit here and there. So it kind of gives you some different looks. Um, and then you bring Samir off the bench. And as he's getting more minutes, he can attack the rim and finish. You know, it's it's a pretty well balanced offensive team when they can, you know, try to cut down on some of the dumb turnovers, keep Jesse out on the floor. It it's a matchup problem for a lot of teams. And I think that was part of the issue with Clemson. They just didn't have an answer for Syracuse's offense. No, they didn't. And a big part of Syracuse's offense, as I said with Jesse, is that we got to the foul line. That is a huge thing we did this week. Is that 10 foul shots for Jesse? 10 foul shots for Jesse, and he made seven of them. That, that is his best foul shooting game of anything outside of five free throws shot in a game. Uh, outside of that, it's his best. Um, statistically, uh, he had a game against Villanova, eight for 15, not ideal. He had a four for 10 a few games ago, not great. Five for eight a few games is a, a game ago is also okay, but not seven for 10. Seven for 10 is dynamite. That is awesome. And he wasn't the only one who got to the foul line. We had 26 foul shots. Clemson at 11. When you're shooting, when you're making 20 of 26 foul shots, the other team only gets 11 of them. That is a major, major bump. And we made 77% of them. That is good enough to keep you in any game. That is solid. Jesse, as you said, missed three. Buddy missed one. Frank missed one. And Jimmy missed one. Okay, that's fine. But shooting that well from the foul line, getting there as often as we did, Jesse just was a dominant force. He, this was the first game we've seen him put everything together. And yes, he fouled out, but as you said, he played 34 minutes. That is more than enough. And we got Barama back now after his health weirdness. Frank has got a couple minutes in him as well. If we can get five to 10 minutes out of those two, while Jesse plays 30, 35, that is an ideal world that works perfectly. We will never complain at all about it. Yeah. And, and, you know, neither Barama nor Frank were outstanding, but they were solid. Um, and, you know, the, they each scored two points. So in total, the center position had 19 points, 12 rebounds and four blocks. 
Um, you get that from your center position with, with those three guys rotating every night, then you're going to feel pretty good. Um, but you know, part of the reason why Syracuse had such a good game offensively, in addition to what Jesse was able to do inside was what Joe was able to do on the perimeter, him and buddy, uh, combined to go eight for 14 from three point range. Uh, they scored 48 points together, shot the ball really well inside the arc, outside the arc. Um, it, it was just strong games from both of them, but Joe specifically, you know, he's, he's really struggled in his last, um, last several games. You know, he's, we, we've talked about it. He hasn't been shooting the ball. Well, um, he's, he's turned the ball over quite a bit. Um, and it's, it's really been, I'd say five of the last six games or so. And, um, outside of the one game against Miami where he scored 26 points, you take the other five most recent games he's played. He's shooting 28% from the floor, 19% from three point range and turning it over about three times per game. That was coming into this one. But in this game, 23 points, five assists, four steals, four for five from three point range, six for nine overall, seven for seven from the foul line, only two turnovers. And, you know, I think one of them was, was a uh, kind of a dumb unforced, you know, let a guy rip the ball away from me type of a play. Um, I don't even remember the other one, to be honest with you, but um, you know, 35 minutes from him, 35 really strong minutes. He made some really nice passes in this game. I know there's, there's a thing out there that Joe isn't really a point guard, that he's a shooting guard and a point guard's body. And I get that to some extent, he's certainly more of a scoring point guard than he is a distributing point guard, but he made some really nice passes in this game and really got Syracuse into their half court offense uh, very well when he was, when he was running the point. But the cool thing I think about this was that Joe was playing really well and Samir still got 14 minutes, which means as much as we talked about, Hey, when Joe struggles, you need to give Samir some more minutes. He's earning minutes regardless of Joe's performance. And he comes in, plays 14 minutes, gives you four points, one rebound, two assists, not a monster stat line, but gives you a little bit of a different look. He's better bringing the ball up the court. He has the ability to go one-on-one with a defender and get into the lane. Um, He's better defensively. And he allows Syracuse to go to that three-guard lineup where they slide Buddy down to to the forward spot. And I think Syracuse is better defensively that that way because I think Buddy is actually better defensively in the wing. He just seems to be more active than when he's up top. So, you know, you play that for five, six minutes in, in the first half, and then you play it for five, six more minutes in the second half, and it gives teams a little bit of a different look. And then when you go back to your traditional starting lineup, it was right after they were getting used to the other lineup, and it keeps teams off balance. So, you know, I, I think what Samir has been able to give the last several games is, is more and more encouraging. And I'm even more encouraged by the fact that he still got those minutes, even though Joe was playing really well. It is beyond encouraging. As you said, uh, we have discussed it time and time again, how the bench, we haven't seen them play and Joe doesn't trust them. He clearly trusts Samir and Samir is backing it up on the court that he is playing well. He is doing everything he's asked to, as you said, he's bringing the ball up. Well, he's playing good defense. That three that three guard lineup, as you said, is playing dynamite with Buddy on the wing defensively. It just it's working. And Joe is a streaky shooter. We kind of know that. 
But when you go six for nine from the field, four for five for three, make all seven of your foul shots, end the game with 23 points, it's going to work. If we get that every week from him, I am perfectly content with life. That is ideal. That is a perfect scenario. He played well. He shot well. He didn't turn the ball over nearly as much as he normally does. The big problem turnover-wise was Cole Swider, um, who didn't have a good game. But he didn't have a good game. But we still won. We still put up – our starters put up a grand total of 83 points with Cole playing not well at all. With him playing poorly, the other four starters chucked up a quite monstrous 76 points. Yeah, and and the thing on Cole is – yeah, he he struggled to shoot the ball. He had five turnovers. He had half of Syracuse turnovers in this game. And about three of them were just unforced, what are you doing kind of situations. And two of them led to fast break dunks or layups immediately afterwards. Um, there was one in particular where he caught, he got a defensive rebound and everyone had run up court the other side to Syracuse's offensive end except for the guy guarding Cole and the guy just ripped the ball out of Cole's hands, turned and went for a dunk. And it was like, what, Not what do you do? Not no, ideal. no, that, that can't happen. But here's the thing about Cole. Yes. He has some issues defensively. Um, he, he's a streaky shooter like Joe is, but he rebounds the ball really well. Every game he had seven in this one. Um, you know, there was a point in the game where in the second half, Clemson was starting to make a little bit of a push to try to get back in the game. And almost right after one of his inexplicable turnovers, Buddy missed a three. He chased down the rebound, grabbed it like as he was falling out of bounds, passed it back out to Jesse Edwards. Buddy then came back around. Edwards handed it off to him. And in doing so, kind of set a screen on the guy that Buddy was covering. So it gave Buddy an open look and he hit a three. That was a a pretty significant sequence for Syracuse. And so even when he's not doing much offensively um, as as far as scoring and when he's struggling defensively, he, he rebounds very well. And I think that's an underrated part of his game. And that's why he continues to play minutes because he does provide uh, that aspect. But, you know, We'll t- we talked a little bit about the bench with Barama and Frank. Benny did play in this game. He, he only got five minutes. He had a really nice block, had a rebound. But he's still learning. He's still a work in progress. Um, the, the, the last thing I want to say on Benny before we kind of move on um, to, to our last topic here is Jesse Edwards. Look at the end of last season. Everyone was clamoring for more Jesse, more Jesse, more Jesse. And Bayheim said, listen, he's not fully there yet. He is ready to help us in certain situations, given certain matchups. In those situations and with those matchups, I put him on the floor and he performs well. In the situations that are not good for him, I don't put him out there. I don't want to put him in a bad situation that sets him up to fail. That's a good coach. And I understand the fans wanting to see more and more and more because every time you see him out there, he does well. Part of that is coach's recognition of when he'll be able to succeed. And, you know, there's sort of this notion that you can't develop unless you're playing in games. And I think Jesse Edwards is proving that that's not necessarily the case. Played a little bit, 
didn't play as much as everyone wanted, worked his butt off in the offseason, worked hard in practice, did what the coaches asked, comes back this year, and he's a stud. He's he's a stud. He has put himself on the map of being a legitimate NBA prospect. And Syracuse has, has a history of doing stuff like that. You look at Michael Carter-Williams, barely played as a freshman. And he comes back his sophomore year. He was frustrated with not playing much as a freshman, comes back his sophomore year, leads the team to the final four. You know, I mean, that Chris Joseph, as a freshman, looked completely lost. And then he goes on to be on multiple teams that end up earning number one rankings in the country as key contributors. Um, Andy Routens, people thought, was a waste of a scholarship. You know, his first couple of years, he looked like he was completely lost, didn't belong on a Division One floor. His senior year, he would have been a national champion if Arinzi Anawaku doesn't get hurt. So, you know, I think there, there needs to be a little patience. We'll see how that plays out. But, um, you know, Syracuse has, has a key stretch coming up here with, with their next three games. And I think what we've learned over the last five or six is that I think Syracuse is not as bad as their 9-9 record would suggest. There's some aspects of this team that are good, legitimately good. They are, they are a very good offensive team. They are number 15 in the country in Ken Palm's offensive efficiency. Uh, that's a really good offensive team. Now, their defense is terrible, right? It's, it's below 250. It's somewhere between 250 and 300. That's really bad. There's no question that that is an issue. But they are in these games. Each game is, is a one-possession game, just about, you know, um, the, the games that they're losing. With with a, a game against you know an Auburn being being the exception, Auburn I think is now number two in the country. So I, I don't think that they're as bad as it's it's been made to be. And perhaps what we've seen over the last five six games, even though they've lost you know three or four of them, is that perhaps they're starting to round into form and um, you know figuring out ways to win games, even if it's not necessarily the way that we're used to seeing Syracuse teams win them. And if I, if there was one part of this team, I am picking to get itself, get itself together that notoriously Jim Beheim figures it out somehow is the defense. It always gets figured out at the end of the day. We all know it will. He'll find some way to use the zone. Well, it always ends up working. Um, I have faith and trust in it. If the offense plays like this, puts up 91 points, and if our defense plays even, say, half of as good as it's played all – if, say, if it plays above average for where it's been all year, we are a tournament team at that point. But, obviously, it has to actually do something. But we have to kind of wait on that. And you're right. This stretch is going to be a very intriguing for Syracuse because – it's gonna. It's where games are gonna really start mattering for that Beheim streak. That all of a sudden we're nine and nine, feeling good, we're vibing, and then all of a sudden we hit this run. Obviously, we'll discuss the next game in a second, but then we hit this run where we need to start winning every game. And mid February, we need to be a game or two above five hundred to feel good. Yeah, I mean this this next game over the next five or six is almost the throwaway game to some extent. Uh, I think if Syracuse comes out of that game being even remotely competitive, you feel pretty good. I don't think anyone's expecting them to win. Um, one of the things I always look at before a game is I look at ESPN's matchup predictor, which is not the end all be all. It's one of these metrics and it's, you know, it's does a whole bunch of simulations based on all these different analytical statistics. And it comes up with, you know, the percentage chance that each team wins. 
and it gives Syracuse a 10.5% chance to win at Duke. Um, that's, that's very low. Hey, we but did it a few years ago. Did that's it a few years true. ago. Don't forget. That's true. All they need is Elijah Hughes to come back and hit a full court shot before halftime and they'll be good to go. Yeah. That's, um, all, that's pretty easy. You know, what? just give, you know, what? Benny's probably been passing these all the time. Just give right. it to him. He's he'll do it. It's easy. What better time to unleash Benny full court shot ability than, than in the Duke game. But um, so, you know, they've got that game coming up. And it's against, you know, Duke's number six in the country. They're fresh off of a loss to Florida State. They're going to be focused. Uh, they're not going to be looking past Syracuse in any way. Say so Duke currently a, lost two of their last four. Lost to Miami, then beat Wake and NC State, then lost to Florida State just last night. Yeah, I mean, it's Duke. Duke is, is a legitimate Final Four national championship contender. They're as good as it gets. Um, you know, as, as far as teams at Syracuse is going to play this year, but here's, here's the thing about Duke. Um, they have had some instances where they're, they've struggled a little bit defensively. Um, they are a good, th- they're, they're a really good offensive team. They're the number one scoring team in the ACC. They're shooting 37% from three as a team. They're shooting 49% as a team overall. Um, Paolo Banchero is, is as good as it gets in college basketball, 18 points and eight rebounds a game. Um, he's just an unbelievable talent. Uh, the, the interesting thing is going to be their starting point guard, Trevor Keels, who is another one of these super freshmen. He's, he's just physical. One of these guys that would just give Joe Girard, a, a, just a real trouble all game long. He hurt himself uh, against Florida State and didn't come back. We don't know what his status is going to be. Perhaps he's out. That gives Syracuse a little bit more of a chance there. But, um, you know, there's no question it's a monumental task. But after that, Syracuse plays at Pittsburgh, a team they just beat by 16. They've got Wake Forest at home, a team that they lost to by three in overtime and should have won if if they were um, able to get the ball in bounds and or officials called what actually happened instead of what they thought happened. Um, And then... After that, Syracuse plays at NC State, who's currently nine and ten. They got home to Louisville, who's ten and seven. They've got Boston College twice, who's currently seven and eight. And they they play at Virginia Tech, who's ten and seven, and has been a bit of a disappointment. Um, so they've got a bunch of games coming up against teams that are in right around the same spot that they're in in the standings, overall record, not outmatched talent wise. So if Syracuse is starting to round into form, this is the perfect time to to rattle off some wins. Uh, if if you can, and if you pull it off against Duke, then I think you really set yourself up for a run. It definitely is. And again, there are 14 games remaining, 13 games in the season, plus the AC tournament game, the one minimum game we get. That is 14 games. We are sitting at nine and nine. So realistically, we need seven wins. Again, as we've said, if you the Duke games and the UNC game, let's say we lose those three. Seven and four is where we have to go the rest of the stretch. This team, how they played last week or last game, and how they've started to look with their offense getting around and kind of Jesse certain play really well. Samir more in the offense, everything kind of working. Obviously, Joe is streaky, Buddy's streaky. If they hit at the right time, and same with Cole, all of a sudden, seven and four is more than realistic for this team. Uh, but as we've said, it's just the defense, which is going to be the concern. If they can get that defense working, the offense will come. We know it will. We're one of the best offensive teams in the nation. As you said, we're 15th. Like We're good. That is fine. If defense gets itself together, 
seven and four easily in this next stretch here. Absolutely. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. And of course, we'll break it all down for you as as it goes um, after each game. So that'll do it for episode 30 of the Believe in Syracuse podcast presented by Bet Online and Hoffman Sausage Company. I'm Mike McAllister for Kyle Left, and we'll see you next time. Peace. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.